Hi, I'm Matt Falk, coming at you from Hadi Da Studio. Welcome to Past, Present, Future, the only podcast in the universe that dares to appease the ghosts of comedy past, comedy present, and comedy yet to come. My guest today is a recent Daytime Emmy nominee, as well as the winner of Outstanding Actor of the Year at the San Diego Critics Circle Awards. He's appeared in movies such as The Pursuit of Happiness, Terminator 2, and Fear of a Black Hat, which Peter Travers of The Rolling Stone called, quote, the best hip-hop film of all. As a stand-up comedian, he's toured internationally, working with Sinbad, Jerry Seinfeld, Rodney Dangerfield, Jeff Foxworthy, and many more. He's also widely loved as Big Mike from the critically acclaimed TV series Chuck. Please welcome Mark Christopher Lawrence. How are you, sir? I'm fantastic, Matt. How you doing? I am doing really good. It's great to chat with you. You and I worked together in uh, in a film a couple years back that we shot out in Colorado called Sleeper Agent. Yes, that was, yes. that was the first and last time we've ever worked together. And and I don't know why we haven't done something else together because our chemistry is great. I agree. It was like so. Uh, Sleeper Agent was my first like substantial role in a feature film, and you. We're just right there beside me, this established working actor who's so incredibly talented. And you were, I want to say this so that everyone could know this. You were so generous with your help because I, I asked you little things here and there and you were just so generous with just giving me tips and advice and just kind of like bringing me into the scene. I felt so welcomed and it couldn't have been a better first acting experience for me on a feature film. So thank you for that, Mark Christopher Lawrence. Uh, you're welcome, man. You, you know, it's like, I, I've been doing it for what, 37 years now. And, you know, people sort of took me under their wing and, and helped me as, as, you know, I began my career. Yeah. And it just made it easy to do the same, just paying it forward. You're like the definition of a working actor. You're like nonstop working. Well, I don't know. I'm, I seem to be stopped right now. <laughs> So, okay, so there's a bit of a hiatus maybe right now. But like, I look at your IMDb, not only is it like loaded with credits, you also have like, right now, there's something along the lines of like 10 upcoming projects sitting in your upcoming folder. Like that's, that's insane. You're just, you're, you're just, you're pumping it out. You're in high demand, except for in this exact moment right now. <laughs> You know, last year was was a great year. I, I have to say, you know, coming off of the pandemic, uh, quarantine period, where you know, literally about a year and a half of nothing, yeah. and then um, uh, last year I ended up doing a film, two commercials, uh, six episode pilot uh, series, and wow. then another and then another film, and you know, really just a great year, and and you know, I'm just feeling blessed. And yeah. hopefully, you know, this year will kick off and we'll we'll get going. Oh, it always does. There's a, it's the bizarre thing about this industry is these bizarre these seasons that you just kind of enter into. It's just like a season of plenty and then a season of huge want. And last year, you're right, it was a big year. You were in a commercial with the Minions. What were they like to work with, Mark Christopher Lawrence? Uh, they were in my imagination. <laughs> <laughs> well, you made it seem so real. It felt like they were right there in front of you. Hey, I would I would have much rather been in the movie, the, the yeah, Minions right. movie, yeah. which did 126 million the first day. 
Yeah, I, you know, I was I was happy to get it, you know, because it's been a while since I since I've done a commercial, so it was really good. Well, that was fun. That was fun to watch. It was it was bizarre too because I didn't know that it was with the minions. So I just saw. I was like, "Hey, that's Marcus for Lawrence. He's in the commercial." And then you're fishing off the dock, and I'm like, "Oh, this is great." And then boom, the minions pop up, and then it's just like he knows the minions. This is incredible. I, I got so many text messages and emails and messages in my in my DMs. You know, saying, hey, I didn't know you were friends with the Minions. <laughs> Must be insulting, too, after such a storied career of working with, like, like I said in the intro, like Sinbad, Seinfeld, Dangerfield. And now they're like, but the Minions. And you're like, they're not real. All right. right. <laughs> right. I've worked with actually established people before. Thank you. James Cameron saw me perform and put me in a thing. So, right. yeah. M- Michael, Michael Bay. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Who cares about the Minions? I'm hearing something. I think we're about to get interrupted here by a ghost. Uh Uh-oh. I am the ghost of comedy past. Today I take you to your first big break. Can you describe to our listeners what's happening in front of us at your first big break? Well, my first big break, you know, I'm standing there in my high school and my English teacher is inviting me to join her fifth period speech class. Wow. And she's introducing me to Perry Brintz, who was influential in getting my comedy career on track. That's So this is not what I was expecting you to say. Not at all. High school English teacher bringing you in on the fifth period speech class. How was how this the first big break? Well, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be an actor or a comedian at all. Jeepers. You know, Mrs. Schilling, she uh, got me involved in speech and debate. And, you know, she introduced me to Perry and my friend Lennon and I, we, we had been toying with the idea of doing a comedy team. Okay. And then, and then Perry was producing shows at USC called uh, Evening of Soul. And he put me on one of those shows to do three minutes of comedy and I didn't have an act. And he sort of showed me what to do. And I went up and I was funny for three minutes. And then Lennon, my friend Lennon said, look, we got to get you to the comedy store. So we go to the comedy store and uh, I do three minutes at the comedy store and was funny. Was it the same three minutes that you did? Uh, No. In fact, at the comedy store, I just talked about what happened in my day that day. No, you didn't. Like, did you prepare it or like, was it off the top? Um, well, on, on the way over to the comedy store, Lynn and I were talking about you know, what I would talk about. And I had a crazy day uh, that day with, <laughs> with a gang member. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, uh, and so I talked about that and it was crazy funny. <laughs> That's incredible. So it was a totally different three minutes than you did that first time that Perry got you up on stage. Yeah. So then after comedy store, that was kind of that was the beginning of it. Do you remember if the set went well? Did it go good? The comedy store went very well. In fact, I came off stage and Louis Anderson said to me, he says, hey, you got something, kid. Keep writing. Jeepers. Oh, you got to love an endorsement like that. Yeah. How did that feel? Like, how, how old were you then, Mark? I was in the 11th grade. So I, I don't know how oh, old you, you are in the 11th grade. That was 1981. Okay. Yeah, I guess it depends how smart you were, Dep- how old you were in the 11th grade. You know, there's... <laughs> There could be 23-year-olds in the 11th grade, I guess. Uh, well, okay. speech, you know, the speech part of it took away the nerves. I had no nerves. There was no fear. 
right. because I had been doing, you know, forensics and, um, you know, just fun. And I was able to get up there and just be me. That's such a huge part of it, of, of stand-up comedy is, is walking up on that stage fearless or at least appearing fearless. So having yeah. like speech class and debate class and all that kind of stuff already in your back pocket, the confidence that you must be walking up on that stage with, yeah, that's, that's honestly, I think that's 75% of it. I, I tell new comics all the time that, and I actually say 80% is swagger. It's like Ooh. you walk up there and, and know that you're going to be funny. And, you know, my approach is no matter what happens in front of me, if the person in front of me has an awesome set, then I'm going to go up and ride the wave. And wow. if the person in front of me dies, then they can't wait to see me. <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. And that's the energy I take to the stage. It's, like, it's all about confidence. Is I going, going up after someone bombs, like after someone just, just tanks it. There is a, that, that's something very special. Let's just say that because <laughs> yes. the audience is in this like weird place where they're looking at each other and still kind of talking a little bit with each other. They're kind of like, what did we just watch? That was awful. And if you can mm -hmm. walk up there and not even when I say acknowledge it, I don't mean like, wasn't that guy terrible? But if you can kind of right. look at even just look at the audience and smile in a way that they know that you know, they know that I know <laughs> that's exact. Oh, then they're right away on your side and you can just go for it. You know, some, sometimes it's like you'll go up and there's somebody that goes up in front of you that their energy is way bigger than where you want to be. Yeah. You know, and so what I do is I, I try to change the mood of the room. So I'll go up and I'll do something singing wise first. I've seen you do this. And it changes the mood. It's like it brings them back to where I want them to be. And then I get them to the place that I want to be in, energy wise. Because, you know, I don't want to jump up there like going behind like that fan with that wild energy and try to and try to match that energy. Basically, what we're saying here is that the room is alive, and you can't ignore the person that came before you, and you can't, mm -hmm. you know. But you have to kind of you have to sh allow the audience to shift gears. I remember I've performed at the uh, Hollywood Improv two times in my life, two times, and both times a special guest walked in before me and did twenty minutes. The first time it was Arsenio Hall, yeah. and the second time it was Dane Cook. As soon as they're on, the audience is just so excited. Arsenio has this incredible energy. The crowd is chanting yeah. his name. They're just, they're losing their minds. Dane Cook, he was kind of like out of the spotlight for a while. And all of a sudden he came back with this like fresh 20 minutes. It was just like really, really cool to watch. And then this little Canadian boy steps up on the stage and just starts telling his jokes. And if I would have ignored it, I don't think I would have done well. But both times... I made some sort of a reference to how bizarre and difficult it was to follow these superstars and it endeared the audience to me. And then I was able to like the wording you used, reset them and kind right. of get them onto my page. Well, I'll tell you the first time I went up at the comedy store, two people in front of me. Yeah. Robin Williams comes in. No, no, don't even say this. And does 45 minutes. Oh my word. So I was supposed to be on at about 10, 10, 20. I ended up getting on at midnight. Okay. I have to take a second to just process everything you're saying. Robin Williams, obviously everybody loves Robin Williams. And uh, Robin oh, yeah. was, you know, one of the main reasons that I got into stand-up comedy. But he was, do you remember what year this was at all? 1981. 
Okay, so he is notorious at this point. He's huge. He is he's destroying. He's d- absolutely leveling rooms. Like yeah. how, how what, what do you even do? He goes up yeah, 45 he, minutes. He what do you do? The room. I was so glad I wasn't next. Okay. <laughs> you weren't you weren't immediately after. Yeah, there were two people that went before me. And there I don't think there's and, any way of of get, going on after Robin. And people were still talking about Robin yeah. during the second guy's stuff. And so when I came up, it was it was perfect. It was perfect timing for me. But what a dream to even get to see him perform live. Not a lot of people can say that. Yeah, and then I ended up on a show with him uh, in San Francisco at the Holy City Zoo. It, it was um, 80, 1988, I believe. My goodness. I was, up, I was up in San Francisco doing a show with the San Francisco Mind Troupe. San Francisco Comedy Festival had started, so I entered, I got in, and ended up in semifinals at the Holy City Zoo, and Robin uh, was basically hosting that night, and it was so oh funny. my goodness. You know, and it's like, he, he made it, he, he made it hard for people to, you know, do their thing, you know, in the competition. Yeah, because is he going up in between the comics? Yes. Oh, yes. my word. Yes. And, uh, but I, I did fine, you know, it's like, you know, I didn't get out of the round, but, but at that point, that's, that's the point I realized that, oh, okay, I could probably make a living at this. My goodness. You know, I was out of college and, you know, went home and started working on my act really, you know, cause, cause at that point I was just kind of dabbling in comedy. And then I went home and I did five, five new minutes every week for this lady uh, in a show called Dare You to Laugh. Yeah. And and then she was the first person to hire me to do 30 minutes. Wow. So it's after this experience in San Francisco mm-hmm. when Robin Williams introduces you that you're going, all right, this is something. You know, it took more it took it took even more than Louis Anderson saying, You got something, kid. It took it took a few years of you kind of doing this and dabbling before you went, Oh my word, I think I think I'm good at this. Like even through college, it's like I kept I kept doing comedy because there were there was opportunities to do it at college and in and around USC, and you know I mean I'm in LA, so the yeah. comedy store and improv all that was there, and the Black Comedy Act Theater was there at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was I was doing comedy, but I wasn't really taking it seriously as if this was an opportunity to be uh, part of my career. You know, yeah. I, I wasn't thinking of it in those terms because uh, um, I started working professionally as an actor in college. And so uh, once I made that decision that, oh, this could be part of the career. This is one of the prongs. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And here I am all these years later still doing it. That's incredible. And what good timing, too, because I don't know if you can hear those festive happy bells or about to get visited once again. I am the ghost of comedy present. Answer this. What performer most inspires you? Oh, that's a lovely question. Wow, that is a lovely question. I, you know, I, I don't think there's a single performer. Well, too bad. You have to name one. <laughs> that inspires me. It's a, it's a conglomeration of the storytellers. The storytellers. Elaborate, was, uh, Mark Christopher Lawrence. Richard Pryor, um, Red Fox, uh, you know, present day um, uh, Brian Regan, you know, the late John Panette, you know, these guys that tell stories. And, and that's 
my style, I'm a storyteller. And so just watching storytellers and I, and I was fortunate enough to work with, you know, when I was an opener, work with a bunch of guys on the road that were storytellers and that were very good at it. And I pick up things from them. Like, like there's, there's one guy I used to work with, Chris Collins, and you know, he had this big energy and the way he told stories was so fascinating and riveting. And there were moments where he would get really soft and I would notice the audience kind of lean in. And I was like, oh, he's doing that on purpose. Wow. And, you know, that's kind of one of the things that, you know, when I feel like I need to draw them in a little closer, I'll, I'll speak a little softer. Storyteller comedians are usually saying that they became storytellers later in their career. But did you, it sounds like you were pretty early on, you wanted to be a storyteller. I didn't know that that's what it was at the time. You know, I mean, I was oh, very green. You know, I didn't know that, you know, this style of comedy is storytelling. But that's what I was most drawn to, as opposed to the set of punch and set of punch. Yeah. It became more about uh, leaving the people with a feeling of joy than it was about, you know, giving them all this information that I have. Is that something you still think about? Is is leaving them with a feeling of joy as opposed to yeah, as opposed to just getting as many jokes out as possible? Yeah, I want people to I want people to to walk away, and as they leave there, to just know that they had a great time. And I have a couple of bits in my act that at the end of the show, I always get a response from people as they leave. You know, one is a bit about shaking hands. Right. Every show that I do that bit, people come up, many people come up and shake my hand and try to get me to laugh because of the bit. So it's lasted. It's lasted past the good night, everybody. And now it's right. It's lingering in their minds. And again, your timing is incredible because I'm not sure if you just heard that loud gong. But here comes our third visitation. I am the ghost of comedy yet to come. What would you do if you could never perform again? Oh, what an ominous question. It's frightening. What would you do if you could never perform again? Uh, if I wasn't producing and directing, I'd go into wardrobe. What? Yeah. All of these answers are so out of left field. I wasn't expecting that at all. When, when I'm working as an actor... I, I probably get closest to the wardrobe people than anybody else. So what is it about the wardrobe that draws you in? One, I love fashion. Two, they know where to shop. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's evident that you love fashion because every time I see you, you're very well dressed. All of your headshots are like at another level, you know especially the, the accessorizing, the hats and what have you. Uh, and I've seen you post on Instagram too, like, okay, which hat should I wear? Which, uh, which shoes should I buy? Uh, but that's so interesting. So if you could ever perform again, you would, like some people I would say would probably find a loophole, go, well, maybe I'd be a teacher because that's kind of performing. Or, but you just, you would sidestep, you stay in the industry, but you're like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus on the wardrobe. Yeah. Uh, any particular movie or like genre of film you would want to do the wardrobe for? No, any and everything. And, and, and even like period pieces. I mean, I, I would love to yeah. dress people in, in period clothes. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
oh, and then you go up there and accept that Oscar, right? For you know, best wardrobe, but that, but that's the time when everybody's leaving anyway to go to the bathroom. Yeah, no one cares about those, but 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 you care exactly. You're the one hanging on there everywhere. I can't perform anymore, so now this part is all about me. (laughs) (laughs) And you would be really good at giving that acceptance speech because you started uh, in giving speeches and debates. So we're almost at the end. And as always, we need to wrap up by talking about what you think and what I think the ghosts have uh, tried to teach you today. Because the ghosts ask these questions for very specific reasons. I think they're telling me to diversify. Whoa. You know, don't put all your eggs in one basket go out and find other things that that you can be fulfilled in wow you know i lost an agent a few years ago she she called me up i was on vacation and she says hey i just wanted to call you and let you know that i'm i'm leaving the business she says i'm gonna go and work with doctors beyond borders for a couple of years and she says i just don't feel fulfilled you know cutting deals for actors anymore hmm she says, I feel like my wife is calling me to something bigger, something greater. Mm. And I said, good for you. Go for it. And then deep inside, I was crying a little because most of my, most of my work from that agency was coming from her. <laughs> <laughs> You're going, that's great for you. What about oh, me? Boy. <laughs> yeah, why won't anyone think about me? And you know what? Even... Sometimes think diversifying leads you to whole other things like that. I'm going to go Doctors Without Borders, like whole out of left field. Oh, yeah. But sometimes it just, it helps the main thing too, because your, your speech classes, your debate classes, they helped your stand-up comedy. Oh, absolutely. And my acting. Your acting. That's right. Learning from these actors and storytellers has helped both of those things. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, you know, and, and loving wardrobe as much as you do has made uh, your stand-up comedy look better. I'm sure it's made, uh, made your, your film and television appearances a little bit better too. You can probably help out a little bit more. So sometimes diversifying brings you in a whole different direction. And sometimes it just, it helps that main thing get even sharper. You have more things to draw from. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think, I think, I think, you know, we as a society, if we, if we thought more in terms of diversification, and 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 how that helps other people yes you know because because like a lot of things like a lot of things that i do outside of the industry are in direct service of other people Ooh. see here's the thing you say something like that and then i wish i had a podcast that was an hour long <laughs> because now this is a whole different offshoot now me and you could sit and talk about this for another 30 minutes but we'll have to come back and do it again mark christopher lawrence you are a gem of a human being. Where, where can people find you uh, when they undoubtedly would li- like to see more of you? I am easy to find. MarkChristopherLawrence.com or just Google Mark Christopher Lawrence and I pop up. I'm easy to find. That is wonderful. My goodness. This was uh, uh, such a big treat for me. Thank you again for doing this. Uh, and once again, I want to say that uh, the time I have worked with you, it wasn't very long. We were together for about a week on set working, but it has left... Um, a lasting impact in my life and in my abilities as an actor. Uh, So just like what you're trying to achieve as a comedian uh, by leaving that lasting impact, I want you to know that you leave that lasting impact on people just by interacting with them and just by hanging out with them. So thank you for being so generous and so wonderful because you've really, you've really blessed my life, sir. Well, thank you for your kind words, man. And and I, I look forward to seeing you and working with you again. Um, and I'm, I'm going to put that out into the universe and let God hear it. And, and hopefully 
you know, he, he'll, he'll make that happen for us sooner rather than later. And cause I truly believe that God never tells us no. He says, he says, yes, he says, uh, not now. And he says, I have something better in mind. Mm. And, um, so I'm hoping that, that, uh, that yes comes sooner rather than later. Oh, I like that. And just like that, you've given us another 30 minutes of content to talk about. <laughs> oh, boy. But we have no time. So a big thank you to my guest, Mark Christopher Lawrence. Thank you to the ghosts of comedy past, present, and future. And thank you to all of you for listening. Please, on your favorite podcast provider, would you consider leaving us a review and subscribing to us? That helps us so much. I'm Matt Falk. Until next time, God bless us, everyone.